Hello, and welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks, to resume our discussions in Exodus chapter 7. That's right, scroll of Shemot chapter 7, without further ado, this is the word of the Lord. Yahweh said to Moshe, See, I made you an Elohim to Pero. Aharon, your brother, will be your prophet. You will speak all that I command you. Aharon, your brother, will speak to Pero, and he will send the sons of Israel from his land. I will harden the heart of Pero. I will cause there to be many of my signs and my beautiful things and the land of Mitzrayim. Pero will not chamai you. I will give my hand in Mitzrayim. I will bring out my armies, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Mitzrayim, in great renderings of justice. Mitzrayim will know that I am Yahweh in the stretching out of my hand over Mitzrayim. I will bring out the sons of Israel from the midst of them. Moshe and Aaron did like what Yahweh had commanded. Like this, they did. Moshe was a son of 80 years, Aharon 83 years, and they're speaking to Pero. Yahweh said to Moshe and Aharon, saying, When Pero speaks to you, saying, Give for yourselves a beautiful thing, say to Aharon, Take your branch, send it in the presence of Pero, oh, that it might become a great long creature. Moshe and Aharon came in to Pero. They did like Yahweh commanded. Aharon sent his branch in the presence of Pero, and in the presence of his servants he became a great long creature. Pero called to the wise ones and to the whisperers. The ones who hold the book and stylus of Mitzrayim also did so in like manner in their blazing fire. Every man sent out his branch. They became great long creatures. The branch of Aharon swallowed their branches. The heart of Pero was strengthened. He did not chamah them as Yahweh had spoken. Yahweh said to Moshe, the heart of Pero is heavy. He refused to send the people. Walk to Pero in the morning. Look here, he exits toward the water. You will station yourself to call to him upon the lip of the Yor. The branch, which became a serpent, you will take it in your hand. You shall say to him, Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Send out my people. They will serve me in the desert. Look here, you did not shema me until this. Yahweh says, Like this, In this you will know that I am Yahweh. Look here, I will strike in the branch that is in my hand over the water that are in the Yor, they shall become blood. The fish that are in the Yor will die. The Yor shall stink. Mitzrayim will be slow to drink the water from the Yor. Yahweh said to Moshe, Say to Aharon, Take your branch, stretch out your hand upon the water of Mitzrayim, over the wadis, upon the Yoorim, and upon their lakes, and over their swirling pools of water. They will become blood. There will be blood in all the land of Mitzrayim, in the wood and in the stones. Moshe and Aharon did like Yahweh commanded. He raised the branch, he caused the waters to be struck that were in the Yoor, in the eyes of Pero and in the eyes of his servants. The waters that were in the Yoor became blood. The fish that were in the Yoor died. The Yoor stank. Mitzrayim could not drink the water from the Yoor. The blood was in all the land of Mitzrayim. The ones who hold the book and stylus of Mitzrayim also did so in their blazing fire. Pero was strong and did not shem'ah them as Yahweh had spoken. Pero turned. He came into his house. Also, his heart was not set for this. All of Mitzrayim dug around the Or to drink water, for Mitzrayim could not drink from the waters of the Or. Seven days were filled after Yahweh struck the Or. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
All right, we have chapter seven here. Uh, I've divided this into two portions for our analysis here. I've got part one, which is one through 13, and 14 through 25 is going to be part two. Checks out. Yeah, it does. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I sure am glad we backtracked and re-sketched out our definitions, our ideas about how we translate Elohim. Because if we hadn't said Elohim meant spiritual being, of which uh, it can also refer to God as a title, yeah. then we would have more of a problem, right? Which all the other translations, I believe, also have to grapple with figuring out. People say, as a god, I see I have made you as a god to Pero. Right. But that word as shows up all the time in this chapter, but it's not in the Hebrew. Right. It just says, I have made you a spiritual being to Pero, or an Elohim to Pero. Yeah, they definitely do some playing around. Well, it kind of depends. Some of them do, some of them, some don't as much, right? So... Um, but it is interesting. They do use God pretty standard across the board, though. Um, but so, they say like God. Like God as NIV a God. NIV says yeah. like God, NLT, like God. Right. Uh, ESV, like God. Yeah, all, all the way down, except for our good old KJV. KJV. I have made the a God to pedo. Yes. Batting insert excellent sports number here that I don't know. Batting, what's a good batting average? A thousand. Batting a it's thousand. Perf- I think it's the, the perfect score. Batting 900. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so the We're fact- sports people. We, you know, I love to play sports. I just don't like to watch sports. Uh, most, most of them. Anyway, different topic, different time. Athletic text reading. Uh, it's a sport. Wow. Uh, but Elohim, as we previously talked about, uh, refers to spiritual beings um, who are often um, can be thought of as creatures in God's court who are given missions and things to go do. Um, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. If uh, I had a spreadsheet with all of our topics laid out in front of me in a tab, that would be great, but I don't. And so I don't have memorized when we reintroduce that. But uh, this is like like an angel, right? I have given you a specific mission as an ambassador, and uh, Pero is going to perceive you that way. Uh, I think it all checks out. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's... I still think there's room to consider just a uh, more standard approach to that of you're going to fulfill the role that originally was going to be me talking to you and then you talking to to Pero. Right. Uh, And they're just, he's shifting that down a scale, right? Right, in Uh, the hierarchy. No, I totally get that, and I think that's definitely what's happening. You just get, like, polytheism alarms going off uh, and apotheosis problems happening if we're like, I made you God to Pero. Um, Then that's odd, but I totally agree that's the point and and the context and everything. But uh, it says, Aharon, your brother will be your prophet. Yeah, which I think is an interesting, you know, um, we see prophet first with... Abraham. Abraham. And back when we talked about that, uh, we talked about the context of 
the first prophet was healing, right? Mm-hmm. He was he is a prophet. Go talk to him so that he can heal your household from the plagues mm-hmm. that are there. So um, it's a restorative role. And I think that's interesting when we are looking at the story of the Exodus to consider that it starts out here uh, as a restoration, right? Mm-hmm. That's their job. They're here to restore uh, something. And in this case, it's the nation of Israel that has become slaves. Interesting. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yes. Traditionally, they talk about the establishment of the nation state of Israel only coming out of this Exodus story. So is it is it a restoration or is it a birth would be a... Another way to look at it? Another way to look at it. Maybe so. And it's all a banquet. A new creation. You want to go with a flood comparison? Right. Right. Okay. Um, so there is some similitude is the word I want to say, but I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, similarities between the last uh, the last chapter that we had in this one because we've got the word harden. Um, and this is the word that I translated severe when we were talking about the kind of labor that they were putting, that they were being burdened with. Right. And so I, verse three, I will harden the heart of Pero. Yes. And that's the same word before a severe. Um, I don't like there being a big difference between those words. Um, I like to keep it consistent so that we can keep track of these motifs right. that are showing up. So that's something I'm going to have to <laughs> fix and post. Uh, but also a little bit challenging. I will severe the heart of Pero or um, go back to hard labor, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's tricky. And, uh, you know, I think some of that is tied up in, you know, we've, we're so familiar with this passage, right? Of, mm-hmm. of Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Right. Um, but I think that if you think of it as his heart becoming severe in its nature, mm-hmm. right? In its, uh, in its being, right? Uh-huh. Um, I think that that makes sense and has a, you know, it gives a unique perspective onto what's going on there that's more, I don't know, uh, uh, tells us more about Peril than just saying his heart was hardened. You're right. You're right. I should have left it that way. I like it. Um, I don't typically think of severe as a way of describing people, but you're totally... You're totally correct. It is a way of describing yeah, people. <laughs> it's a harshness. Yes. You know, um, and so I see, I can see how you can get to hardened, right? This unyielding, stubborn. Um, right. But even that's not quite nuanced, it seems, the way that it's talking about it here. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I want it to reflect the earlier line because um, he is becoming in his character, what he is putting out into the world, right? Yeah. Um, he has put out into the world that they need to make something more difficult and that has a transforming effect upon his character, which we like to think isn't the case at all. I can totally work for this company and still be... <laughs> well, you know, I can, I can relate to uh, being challenged by someone. Uh-huh. And 
doubling down, right? Oh, yeah, totally. You know, and it does create a severity of your choices and your soul in those moments, right? You, it changes the way that you, like you're saying, interact with people. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Yes. I mean, specifically, though, the work, the things that he's calling upon others to do in the world, the burden that he's putting upon other people ends up shaping his character as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, which we typically think probably because Jesus says it that way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But also when we speak, I think it also shapes our heart. Yeah. Okay, both and. Both and. Uh, I like this. I'm intrigued, actually, is what I'll say by this next section in verse three. I will cause there to be many of my signs. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, many of them, though. Yeah. Uh, and my beautiful things, which I think is fascinating, in the land of Mitzrayim. So yes. it's that beautiful things that I'm curious about because it is an odd thing to say. Yes. Okay. So before we get to beautiful things, um, the many of, it's not uh, like an adjective there. That's a verb. I will Mm. cause there to be many. That's one verb. Like a multitude of. Yes. There will be a greatness of many, technically. Um, It's the word rav, the root, which we get rabbi from, the great one. Um, So I will make great, but it comes from many. I will make many. Um, my signs. So kind of like the promise to Avraham, right? I will make you great. Yes. I'd have to go back and check whether that's Gadol or Rav, but sometimes there's both. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. And then the word, so this is Mufat, um, and its root, it's Yafa, which um, some of my Hebrew students will recognize the word yofi, yofi, mitsuyan, yofi. Uh, we say it all the time in modern Hebrew, yofi or yafe, technically, when it's not in slang, means beautiful. Um, and it has this mem in front of it that makes it a noun. Okay. So the word thing isn't in the word, but it's the noun for beautiful. Um, and we typically translate it... Um, you know, it can be miracle or um, there's another one that they'll take and uh, translate into wonder, which I always right. hear in the Prince of Egypt voice, um, Val Kilmer coming in strong. Um, but the root means beautiful thing, which I think is totally fair. It can describe a miracle. It can describe a wonder, you know. Uh, yeah. We don't typically say that not beautiful things are wonders or miracles right it's just not typically how i frame the plagues right well wow those are just so beautiful (laughs) yeah i loved it when everything was dark and all of the cattle cattle were dying i was just like right stunned by the beauty of everything going on right well you can check these things in different thought baskets here you can say that the signs are like the staff turning into animals and then the beautiful things are the plagues or you can say the signs are the plagues and the beautiful things is the exodus okay um or the sea of reeds being parted or whatever um what i want to call attention to and one of the reasons i doubled down i mean i probably would have anyway let's be honest but on the root here is that whenever there's uh, images of God that in our post-enlightenment hyper, a certain view of masculinity, which is very limited, um, when 
the biblical text comes into conflict with those words, especially around God, but sometimes around male protagonists, it'll get scrubbed away very, very quickly. Mm. So in our very specific culture, men don't tend to wear jewelry, right? Sure. And at least in white America, um, they don't. And so anything about God's adornments or the adornments that men are wearing um, or words that have to do with beauty often will be changed to glory. <laughs> it's like, Oh, mm, sure. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. The glory. Yeah. Yeah. We can't have men be beautiful. We can't have them wearing gold stuff. Even Your necklace though, is looking glorious this morning. Right. Men have been lavishly dressed for most of history until recently when it's, you know, been imagined to be something else. Um, uh, that, you know, they're supposed to be like, whatever. Uh, and and so I want to restore those things back to the text, not necessarily because I'm like, see the femininity of God, because I think that's culturally gendered. But like, if the Bible says that God has adornments, we should probably put it in there. And if God says he's beautiful, we should probably put it in there. And if he says he does beautiful things, we should probably put it in there. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Pero will not shema you. I will give my hand in Mitzrayim. That intrigued me. It also sounds vaguely marital, but I would have to look relook up the um, marriage rights uh, hmm. that we have, which are pretty limited from the Bronze Age. But um, I will give my hand in Mitzrayim. I will bring out my armies, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Mitzrayim. Yeah, I'm not sure what, you know, is being said with the I will give my hand in Mitzrayim. I think that is fascinating to, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I think it's mirroring the motifs in chapter six in terms of for in a strong binding hand, he will send them. And then we have, um, I will ransom you with an outstretched arm. And then we had, I'll bring you to the land that I lifted my hand. Um, There's also, I'm aware of the the rabbinic conversation around um, God's hand, um, you know, that he only needed to use his pinky finger to save them or whatever, but he chose to use his whole hand. So that's what comes to mind okay. for me. Uh, but the second line, I'll bring out my armies. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, he had them in his sleeves, and to <laughs> use his hand, <laughs> they would have to come out. Crowd favorite right there. Uh, a 10 out of 10, no notes. Uh, yeah, there's a midrash about this one too. So the the implication here, uh, I will give my hand to Mitzrayim, I will bring out my armies, space, my people, space, the sons of Israel from the land of Mitzrayim. That makes it seem like he's saying that Multiple his groups. armies, well, that's a question. Are his armies, his people, the sons of Israel? Is that in a positive phrase we say in the grammar? Or is it a series of people? And, and, and. Right. Um, because the last time we saw armies, um, and the last time you made that joke was talking about. Have I made that joke before? You have. Oh, that's goodness. why I said crowd favorite. I, I got a positive feedback though. So oh, I that's think good. you're in the clear. That's um, good. At least okay. Adam liked it. Shout out I, to Adam. I was in the clear, but now I sound lame. No. Because I've only got one joke and I, I use it. I mean, it's a good joke. Uh, And we've been recording a year. You're fine. Um, Okay. So last time we saw it, though, we were talking about the stars, right? That Sevaot, he completed the the heavens and all their armies. I like that because it ties into the promise again. Mm -hmm. That they're going to be like 
the stars. stars. Right. So you can say, I'll bring out my heavenly armies. You know, I'll bring out fate via the Zodiac if you want to do that. You can say, I'll bring out my angel armies if you want to do that. Um, or you can go the route that they're all the same pe- thing. The armies are the people, the sons of Yisrael, um, rather than a sequence of of list there and the rabbinic conversation does go with that and they say well how did his people become armies and the story is about how the women um the hebrew women would be out there in the field and they had their mirrors with them and they used their mirrors somehow to seduce the men who are supposed to be working um so they'd get it on in the fields and then have a whole bunch of kids apparently Hmm. um and uh, and that's why later God gets mad at Moshe for saying that their mirrors are bad. Because um, Moshe is mad that they have mirrors and wants to break all the women's legs. Because as oh you do, what a weekend activity. Um, so that's all from this verse. If you knew that story, if you're even more confused, I'm sorry. Uh, but... There's that midrash to explain potentially why the people are now being called armies because those seductive women folk, you know, you try to send them to a field, but they do something. They're mirrors, I guess. I guess. In great renderings of justice. <laughs> yeah, just skimming on past the leg breaking. Skimming really? on past. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, great renderings of justice. Yeah, um, which you know, just speaks to the work that God is doing there, right? It's a it's a work of justice. It's not just a punishment on Pero, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's a it's a justice that is happening. Right. And, you know, there's also lots of things to talk about, you know, in in the word justice and what it means and right. the way it's used differently in our culture versus other cultures right yes and not to re bring up a ghost horse um but this is from the shafat word so rather than the tzedek word and if you recall there's a big back and forth um about that yeah. um, between me and my colleagues. Uh, but I went with renderings of justice here, even though I hold the position that the word tzedek is the word justice, not the word mishpat, because um, this is something that a judge is doing. Um, and so I just want to bring that out because God here is being a good judge, which goes with being a king and their culture. And so again, okay. we've got this contrast between pedo, bad king, bad patron, bad judge, and God, good king, good patron, good judge. Okay, interesting. Yes. So justice in this case, because it's from God. Right. Who's acting as a judge. Well, yeah, what does a judge do but render justice right so usually people say great judgments um oh which sure. has a courtroom feel for us because we have courtrooms rather than city gates so that's what i'm trying to play with there yeah get around. interesting fascinating okay verse five mitzrayim will know that i am yahweh i in the stretching out of my hand so there's that again over mitzrayim i will bring out the sons of israel from the midst of them i think that in the stretching out of my hand over Mitzrayim is interesting because it comes up again when he's talking to Aharon about stretching out his hand over Mitzrayim to 
turn the water into blood. Yep. And it's going to happen with the snake turning into a creature. Yep. And it's going to happen at the um, at the splitting of the Red Sea. Yeah. All fascinating things yeah. uh, that are tied with this phrase. I think it has to do with the fact that the like co-laboring of God with humanity, that God's obviously the one doing the miracle here. You know, it's not like Moshe has superpower ability to turn stuff to blood or Aaron yeah. has superpowers. But God requires our co-participation in that work. And so the stretching out of the hand is us having the faith <laughs> to look silly, hmm. right? If nothing happens to take the action of saying, I'm going to believe that this is going to do something. And then God uses that and, and accomplishes something. And so God reaches out his hand. Therefore we're mirror mirroring God. Okay. That. Okay. Yeah. That's my theory. Could be. Um, I'm curious if there's maybe something in that, that is a challenge against, against Pero. Mm. Right, because that is the way in which Pero enacts his authority is by the stretching out of his hand with his staff. Right. Right. And sickle. And sickle, right. And so for God to utilize that in a show of authority greater than Pero's uh, in acts that are, right, that renderings of justice— uh, in a different way than Pero, right. could be continuing that parallelism. Right, right. And Aaron is going to do this later as a good priest, yeah. stretching out your hands to do mm. the blessing. Okay, yeah, yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. Hands are involved. They uh, are. Then we've got this, like... They're throwing hands. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Moshe and Aaron did like what God commanded, like this they did, which I just think is so funny. Well, um, and also, you know, I was thinking about that, in that the relationship that God has with us is a partnership. Uh-huh. He's not trying to turn us into robots of his will. Right. Right. Oh, and mm, so interesting. He's giving us the direction, but he's... And it, it's in partnership with us, and we're the ones that are figuring out the way in which we're going to enact what he's called us to do, right? Gotcha. So mm-hmm. to me, I like that turn of like what Yahweh commanded because it fits with that narrative right. of relationship. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Uh, and then verse 7, we've got this weird insert yes. of their age. Like we can't just throw out, these are old dudes. Yeah. Like Abraham was an old dude. Moshe's an old dude. Aharon is a slightly older dude. Right. Uh, I'd like to let you know that I Googled the word similitude and I had used it correctly. Had you? Okay. I had, yes. Wow. Uh, but here's my theory on this random thing here. Uh, so do you remember the Sumerian kings lists from way back in the Genesis Yeah, the super, super old Ages. Yes, precisely. So we've got these giant cuneiform pillars, uh, basically, that have stamped on them all these 
great kings and they all lived to be 800 or whatever. So we theorized a possibility for those genealogies were that um, the author of Genesis is copying that cultural trope to say something about the people in God's story. So my theory is here, whether or not they're really 80 years old or not, is that we're again borrowing that and saying this is the moment that Moshe and Aharon step into their power as these great heroes of old, like Gilgamesh, like Enkidu, you know. 80 years old is when you're in your prime. (laughs) No, I would say the age is potentially uh, not that 80-year-olds can't be in their prime and accomplish amazing things. Um, I know a few, but um, more than a few. But that that age is potentially inflated again in order to call back to this cultural touchstone of great heroes that were aged. And so potentially it's inserted here uh, because we've had quite a long time. I mean, not really that long when we're talking about the text, but it's been a while since God said, take up your authority, right? Take up your staff and do these things. And we talked back then about your staff being a big authority symbol and you need to just step into his calling and everything is royal um, position that God had placed him in. And he was like, and then spent a really long time diddly-dallying before he actually went to Mitzrayim and he was a Midian and God had to tell him to leave over and over. We remembering. Uh, And so here, finally, uh, when God says to Moshe, um, after we've done a little bit of back and forth with God's people, and Moshe's like, nobody's listening to me, God's given him this new command um, of a very specific, again, kind of wild thing that he wants him to do. And so now it says that he does what God told him to do, and then... um, comes down the mantle of heroism that uh, potentially, again, is coming from the broader culture in Genesis. Yeah, it just instantly transforms from a young, (laughs) handsome Moshe (laughs) straight into Charlton Heston Moshe. Are you saying 80-year-old people aren't handsome, George? No, but like like the, the super thick gray hair with the long gray beard i haven't seen it i'm sorry all right i'm sorry your dad hasn't wrinkled me into that one yet uh okay so that's a potential reason if you think i'm wrong that's fine but i just toss it up to anybody to say okay well then tell me why Um, why is he 80 if you have a different theory send it to us at texting us at gmail.com and we can be blown away by higher levels of wisdom and been able to scrounge together yeah uh yeah i would be definitely interested to hear theories about why is he 80 other than it comes after 79 um, well, no. Why is that placed right here? Like, I'm totally fine if he's actually oh. 80. I'm saying, why is that verse plopped out of nowhere into the story? You know, uh, he had a birthday. <laughs> he had, they had a little party with streamers and a cake. And so it had to be put in here narratively. It doesn't make sense. So, okay. Yahweh said, um, that's not the words of our, by the way. We've got the word for say and we've got the word for speak. Speak is the heavier, more significant word. God is not speaking heavily here, which is interesting. So Yahweh said to Moshe and Aharon, saying, when Pero speaks to you, give yourselves, give for yourselves a beautiful thing. Say to Aharon, take your branch, send it in the presence of Pero. 
Um, oh, that it might become a great long creature. I presume you have a few questions. Uh, I mean, there are some interesting things here, right? We see the return of that beautiful thing phrase, right, that we had before, right? Yep. So continuing with that terminology, um, and this time we see Peril saying it, um, which is interesting. Uh, and then send it in the presence of Pero. Yep. Right? Uh, as it, opposed to the the typical, like, throw it down in front of him yes. language that's used. Right. Which, of course, is mirroring the send my people from Mitzrayim. Um, it's a picture of that. But it amuses me here. Uh, are you familiar with the Jim Bro culture of what uh, send it means, George? Like go all the way? Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Go. Yeah. That's what send it means. Um, and so that's funny. Also, take your branch, by the way, I think is still backing up my theory about them stepping into their God-given authority and heroic stance because it says take up your branch right take your branch like they probably had their branches with them since we've got gandalf energy here yeah it kind of makes me think back to uh, a few chapters earlier god tells moshe to pick up his branch right right after the burning bush and i said that really meant step into your authority yeah because it's a symbol of that as we all know having seen lord of the rings but please ask me about the great long creature. Tell me about the great long creature. <laughs> great. <laughs> okay, so the last time we saw this word, your favorite was in Genesis 1. And at that point, it was like uh, talking about filling the seas. So this was like we theorized at the time, I think like whales, plesiosaurus, hmm. you know, some giant sea creature. Interesting. Okay. Um, we tend because later it says serpent. Um, later in this chapter, people tend to read that back. Um, but first off, last time we saw it was in the water. Second off, d- to complicate matters, um, the word, it comes from the word for long. And then also yeah. in Arabic, uh, it's similar to the word for desert wolf or jackal. Okay. Which we, I don't think Further of as being yeah. long. Um, and so if you look at a list of translations, well, if you don't do that, if you look at Strong's definitions, which is always a, an endeavor, um, which... It's interesting. Um, You'll see like dragon, you'll see sea serpent, you'll see regular serpent, you'll see wolf, because in Ezekiel, it's like in the desert suckling something. And so it's like, well, it seems like it's a mammal, but then why in Genesis is it um, in in the the water? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All very confusing. So it's a crocodile. Pick your poison here, uh, draw from the deck. Whatever suits you to imagine he he summons in Paris court, maybe he summons a whale. <laughs> that would be, I mean, we've got some Pokemon battles going on there. <laughs> I was seeing where like Emperor's New Groove when Isma's Oh yeah, turning into the... Excuse me, can I go home? Yeah. I've been turned into a cow. Yeah, yeah. Only instead it's a sea serpent dragon jackal yeah. creature. Right, yeah. 
interesting. Uh, but it means big and long. So that's what I went with because right. I didn't want to just pick what I thought would be coolest. Though it was tempting. Uh, they did like God commanded. I love that point you made about cooperation means some of our creativity comes into what we're doing. Uh, and Yeah, he was just like, well, what if it was like a snake? Right. <laughs> um, okay. I have a theory here that Pedo isn't actually here. Um, and I don't know if this... I was going to ask you about that because okay. we've been talking about the difference between saying Pero and saying the king of Mitzrayim. Right. And we don't see the king of Mitzrayim uh, here. Right. And what we do have is after this uh, episode happens, which we need to talk more about the episode, um, but after God says... Hey, Moshe. Hey. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, He refused to send the people, find him in the morning. That, to me, sounds like Moshe doesn't know that he refused to send Mm. the people. Like, otherwise, why would God need to say that? Like, he left thinking, yes. Right, right. I mean, maybe he left and Pharaoh was like, I'm a think on it for a while, let you know. And then he decides not to and God tells him. Which does happen. Yeah, totally. Um, It's a possibility. But I'm just curious about whether the reason Moshe has to track him down at morning bath time is because he doesn't get to actually see him. He's being held out in like the front courts instead Mm. of the throne room. Okay, interesting. So that's just a theory. Hasn't quite gotten the audience of the king, the king yet. yet. Right. I like that. Potential. Potential. I could be totally wrong. He's just with the big boys, hasn't made it to the king. <laughs> Again, homework. Watch Prince of Egypt. Okay. Pedro called to the wise ones and to the whisperers, the ones who hold the book and stylus of Mitzrayim. Yeah. So here we have... An interesting, uh, a couple of interesting things, right? The whisperers, the ones who hold the book and the stylus, which is your addition to that, that tag to the whispers, which we often see sorcerers there. Right. Um, and uh, this blazing fire that they yeah, use. I'm excited about that part. Um, but yeah, it says wise ones, so probably advisors. Whisperers, we've talked in the past. Snake whispers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're just like people who are just really, um, they love ASMR. Um, no, I've talked in the past about how when the Bible was first translated into European vernacular, um, we were very concerned about specific brands of, um, folks, and we were very concerned about witches and necromancers and sorcerers, which I mean, it's been true in different parts of the world for a long time. It's like, not that that's just a European thing. Um, but the word doesn't say magical person. Um, the word says somebody who whispers. So, I mean, maybe they are doing magic. Certainly there's, uh, certainly the text doesn't give us a lot of room to be like, but it was an illusion because only God has real power. They were just doing shadow puppets with their hands. No, it, says, <laughs> it just says that he did so or that they did so in like manner, 
right? And so you just have the tiniest bit of wiggle room to be like, well, it wasn't exactly the same because it was in like manner. So it was just, it was all jokes. Um, right. Although I would love to see this scene reimagined as a Job Bluth magic show. <laughs> that would be, that would be great. Arrested development all day. But, uh, but it seems like they actually do it. Not only that, it says, as you pointed out, that they did so in their blazing fire, um, which is the same word. The only other usage in the text that we've had thus far is um, Professor Whirly Sword from the garden entrance. Yeah, Rashi comments on that fact. Yeah, does he call him, does he call him Professor Whirly Sword? Though? Yeah, he said Professor Whirly. <laughs> Uh, is back somehow. Rashi is so cool. He's so cool. Uh, But yeah, he compares it to exactly that. Uh, And he says that the Targum uh, makes that comparison. So... uh, I mean, it's the only other time the word is used, so it's not like we're really good sleuths here. Right. But I think that's also an interesting fact that we don't see this anywhere else in Scripture. Like, we do see other people called sorcerers right right or whisperers right um but we don't see this comparison to that whirling blazing fire sword thing right which is different than regular fire by the way it's not like a fire with an adjective in front of it it's like a supernatural different kind of fire right in the root yeah so um yeah so he points that out and then the rambam uh says also so he, what he does with that is he says that the reason that they're making this comparison is that the the ability that they have to turn their staves into these serpents is because uh, they are empowered by angels. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, specifically angels that have turned away from God, right? right. But it's because it literally is angels mm-hmm. the same kind of angels that were guarding the garden i mean i didn't want to get pegged too hard as a mystical nut but if the rosh bomb's going there i mean if it's the only other use and the last time we saw use was an angel it seems fair yeah to say well maybe it was that's the inference that we're supposed to make um yeah He's, yeah he specifically calls them angels of destruction which is interesting uh, and then he also makes a comparison to, uh, like, when Elisha's eyes were opened and he was able to see the uh, angelic beings that take Elijah up into heaven, uh-huh. Eliyahu. Yes. Um, so these angelic beings that are around and are doing specific things. Uh-huh. Right? So Elohim, one might say. Yeah, kind of like that. Kind of. Kind of. It was, it's like that, but not exactly. Fascinating. Well, here we are starting our, you know. Sessions on mysticism. Yeah. Venturing out of the safe haven of the enlightenment into areas that might make some of us feel uncomfortable. And right. maybe others of us feel very vindicated. Yeah. Ha ha, I knew it. We're putting a mystic <laughs> lens on for a second. We are, which and... uh, there is evidence for, so yeah. why not? Um, and then every man sent out their branch. Right. So not just the ones who hold the book and the stylus. Everybody. My stick is better than your stick. Yeah. They all have got Gandalf staffs 
pretty, I mean, it's basically Gandalf's big fight with uh, Saruman. Yeah, in the in the tower. Uh, but they send out their branches. The same thing happens. It does have those kinds of undertones, at least for me, that you just mentioned. Uh, but then the branch of Aron swallowed theirs. Um, and I love that he doesn't say Aron's great long creature swallowed their great long creature. Like from God's perspective, the one narrating here, it's all wood. Yeah. <laughs> He's not, uh, yeah. God sees through the angels appearing as light, you know, masquerading as something bigger than they are. Yeah. Well, and it calls out their true nature. And Rashi says that the way this is phrased implies that uh, Aharon's staff swallows the other branches after it's turned back into a staff okay um and so it's not even the staff turned into a serpent is swallowing the serpents it's the staff that was a serpent that's now back into a staff is going and swallowing up (laughs) which by the way that's great uh it's entertaining it takes away from like some of the coolness of it well um, i don't know i think it's i think it's pointing out that the power here is not in the fact that it is a serpent. Right, that it's like, an owl or a whale or a jackal. <laughs> Let's not limit ourselves or a dragon. Well, but like... Uh, or a plesiosaurus. Perro's in a weird spot in which he has these people around him that can do these seemingly miraculous things, right? Mm-hmm. Which has always stood out to me as wild, right? Like... Yeah. Uh, uh, God starts off by sending uh, Moshe and Aharon to come and do things that Peril's house can already do. Right. Um, and in this instance, I feel like having the serpent turn back into the staff and then having the staff swallow the other staffs. Or is the almost, other whales. Or the, the other, other whales, right. The staff the st- <laughs> turns back into a stick and then the stick swallows a bunch of whales. But the point being that uh, it's, pointing out the folly and trusting in such things as being power Mm. and authority. Right. uh, Because it's just a stick. Interesting. Yeah. All I can think about is that this is a long scene. (laughs) You know, like when we read it, it's one line. The branch of Aharon swallowed their branches. But depending on how many courtiers are here. Which it doesn't say. Yeah, but we've got at least one wise one. At least, I guess, actually two of each because it's plural. So we've got two wise ones. We've got two whisperers. We've got at least two who hold the book and the stylus. Yeah. Um, so we've got six at the least. Uh branches on the ground and or animals of various natures and the branch has to chase them around and eat all of them that sounds fascinating cinematically and potentially awkward you know just kind of like they're both kind of standing around (laughs) waiting for it to be done there's like one running in circles in the corner right it's been it's been two hours wait (laughs) i'm still a cow yeah just give it a minute. Give it a minute. Also, did they go, have to go and get new branches, by the way? You know, like they have to all walk out glumly to the forest together and find Maybe. new great. Were Moshe and Aharon's staffs heavier now? 
asking the real questions or it's all a metaphor and they're just talking about Moshe and Aaron's authority being greater than their authority but whatever you can take it that way if you want I like a bunch of forlorn wizards in a forest (laughs) (laughs) all right verse 13 the heart of Pero strongly bound the heart of Pero Okay, yes. So I I edited this one as I was talking because I got so frustrated during the during the translation. So this is our word that we've been translating. Um, uh, In chapter six, we said that it was strong binding hand, right? Because it was the kind of strength which is able to bind. Now try to finagle that in Egypt as a verb. Um, because I didn't want it to be like the heart of Pero bound something because it didn't. The heart of right. Pero was strengthened, which is what it ended up. Um, I ended up reading it as it was strengthened, but in a way that binds, right? <laughs> which is clunky. Um, the heart of Pero became strong and was able to tie stuff up, right? That's the idea. And I think it's important to figure out some way to shoehorn that in there because he's binding himself to his perspective. He's binding himself to his opinion. He's doubling down and doubling down and doubling down to his great folly, right? You can tell this whole story of what happens in Exodus around one person's pride and ego and what happens when we're not willing to repent and repent in terms of just being open to changing your mind about something and the ego strike that that takes. Um, And so I think it is important. But uh, if you say the heart of Pero was strongly bound, that makes it wrong in the grammar because that makes like he was the one who received the binding and it's not in that case form and the verb and it's all very annoying. Right, and it's not necessarily a, it's not necessarily an active statement either. Right, of in this moment he strongly bound his heart. Right, it's that that was the nature that it was already existing in. It, well, it's still a verb, so it was strengthened. It's in strengthened heart. That's what it says. And what kind of strength? It's the kind of strength that is able to bind something. So this phrase is going to come back a whole bunch more times in the story. And so I'm going to have so many more swings at it. To work it out. Yeah. Do you hear that? I, I got another baseball uh, metaphor in there. Wow. You are just hitting them home. I just need everyone to know how disappointed my spouse looks in me right now. Uh... Okay, so then he gets ambushed while he's trying to take a bath or go fishing or enjoy a nice morning out. Yeah, so interesting story. We're going into part two now, which starts at verse 14. Uh, But it says that God tells Moshe that the heart of Pero is heavy, which I'm curious about that word heavy. Is that glorious. The kind of, yeah, the glorious, which we would not normally say the heart of Pero is glorious in this moment, right? Maybe. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's how he's feeling. I mean, from a Hebraic perspective, since they are the same thing, he was considering himself greatly significant, right? That's the tie that I put between the idea of glory and the idea of heaviness. Mm. Um, so the heart of Pero was, ugh, look at my significance. I can uh, yeah. ignore maybe this God. Yeah. 
Um, but I always translate it heavy, like the famine was heavy in the land. And so here it's heavy as well. Um, and of course that's the happy little link over to Egyptian mythology with the feather and going to the underworld. If you're, or not the underworld, it's not called that going to the sad, the sad Egypt afterlife. If your heart is too heavy. So that's the undertone that's happening here. Uh, I'm sure the big sources have beautiful, clean teachings on that um, that everybody else can go look up. Yeah, but he sends him out to meet Pero in the morning when he is coming up out of the water. Exits toward the water. Look here, he exits toward the water. Station yourself to call to him upon the lip of the Yor. Yeah, Um, so Rashi says that what's going on here the reason that uh he's able to meet pero here at the water is because pero does this every day it's part of his morning routine hey we love we love a good morning routine yeah he's got a morning routine and it's because it is a show of his pero's divine power that he doesn't have to use the restroom ever oh and so to make that work That's what he so does specific is he goes out to the river in the morning so that he can go to the bathroom without anybody noticing. And then he can go back inside. Wow. So God's having Moshe show up in the sneaky moment of Pharaoh's <laughs> routine, <laughs> right? Uh, that people aren't supposed to see. He's literally catching him with his pants down. With his pants down and then turning the river into blood. So huh. it's weird. He's got a, he's got a UTI problem. <laughs> Moshe is really bringing it out. Odd. Okay, who, which, which rabbinic figure has a fixation here? Rashi. Rashi. Oh, okay. Well, we'll give uh, him some well, wiggle room. It's Rashi, but he's quoting uh, Exodus Rabbah. Okay. Uh, and uh, Midrash Tachnum. Uh, yeah, you, you got it. So, um, yeah. So a couple of sources seem to be on this train. An odd train to be on, but you know why not? Yeah. Why not? Sure. He was going out to pee. Um, <laughs> what a flex. What a flex. Okay. Uh, well, there is interesting that it doesn't seem to be other people here, right? It doesn't say that like his courtiers are with him. So maybe mm-hmm. that's where it's coming from. Um, but yeah, he, so he does that he strikes um in the branch that is in my hand over the waters that are in the order so many prepositional phrases there they shall become blood all the fish die right it stinks mitzrayim will be slow to drink the water from the Yor. well and we have also the bringing back up of yahweh god of the hebrews the ones who cross yes. over right has sent me to you saying so bringing that back up again like right. remember who these people are Right. They're not your people. Right. Um, well, with the crossing over in this um, moment, I can't help but wonder if it's a foreshadowing of the Red Sea, right? Sea yeah. reads, we've got him standing before the water that's all turning to blood just as that sea will fill with the blood of his armies and himself um, by the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it's interesting in verse 17 that he says, I will strike in the branch that is in my hand over the waters. Yes. Um, which is a 
a, a fairly violent thing, right? Yes. It's going to strike the water, and then there's going to be blood coming from it. Yes. Again, so. some silliness on the part of Moshe. Like, I don't know. I feel like saying a magic word is more low stakes than having to give a nice chop. Whack. <laughs> yeah, smack. Yeah. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a couple of different ways to interpret the reason why God is doing this specific miracle. Okay. Um, but one of them that I thought was interesting uh, from Exodus Rabbah is that the Yor is worshipped as a god by the Egyptians. Okay. And so Moshe coming and striking the water and having it turn to blood is a symbol of killing that god. Okay. Um, and so it's the blood of that god that is now in the waters that everyone is seeing. Uh, I like Foreman's point that he's bearing testimony to the death of the babies. I like it too. I just know we've talked about it previously. So, right. Um, but I'm not sure that the, I mean, there's a God of the Nile who causes it to flood and everything. His name is Happy, which is just great. Well, now he's dead. <laughs> no. Happy the dwarf from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. No, Happy the River God. Oh, still still a bummer, but okay. And excuse me, he's androgynous. They're androgynous, not um not yeah, what what a guy. What a person. Google it. Boy, I'm not nailing my pronouns here. Um, okay. So anyway, sad dead Nile god potentially, or witness to the dead children. Um, and then we've got a little extra surprise extrapolation because it's not just the Nile it's um the Wadis the Yaorim so there it's plural which backs up my thing about it not necessarily being the Nile because here it's including tributaries probably yeah upon their lakes and over their swirling pools of water um that's the word mikvah by the way so uh, Egyptians have mikvot first um They'll become blood. They'll be blood, and all, all uh huh, and all the land of Mitzrayim and the wood, which uh, I think people usually insert vessels of there. They do. But what if it's not? What if like the trees are full of blood? That would be gross. That would be gross. And totally wild. But very goth, um, which the rest of the plagues are. So I don't know. Yeah. And in the stones, so which maybe- makes me think forward to. The stone that Moshe strikes again to bring water out of. Right. Um, right. Ugh. Interesting. Fascinating. Um, oh, his servants are there. So, haha, taking down Rashi, a tiny peg. Who are we to do such a thing? But it says he caused the waters to be struck that were in the Yor, in the eyes of Pedro, and in the eyes of his servants. Unless they, like, observed it later. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's why he's in the water, so you can't actually see anything. So they still don't know. He's just taking a bath to them. Huh. Okay. Yeah. It's just sneaky. Um, But I do think it's interesting that Aharon is the one that does this action, and it's not Moshe. Right, at this point. At this point. So before with the staves, right, it seems like it's both of them. Right. Uh, Here it's just Aharon takes his branch, and... Uh, stretches it out over the waters everywhere else, right? So, uh, No, earlier it's Aharon. 
I and I think it's for character growth. It says Moshe and Aharon came into Pero. They did like Yahweh commanded. Aharon sent his branch in the presence of Pero, and it became a. Also, by the way, just to wrap up uh, a fun little detail, I forgot. There's no it in Hebrew. Okay. Um. So. It doesn't say Aaron sent his branch and it became a great long creature. It says he became a great long creature, which again, <laughs> it, it's probably the branch, but there's a possibility that he throws the branch on the ground and Aaron becomes a, a dragon, whale, jackal, wolf, And then all the other people do the same thing. Yes. That would be wild. <laughs> I would. Uh, but I, it's very sword in the stone magician's battle. Um, and I'm a fan. This is my midrash. And I do not recant. Okay. Uh, he turned. Oh, no, they do it again. Which, how do you even do this one? It says, those who hold the book in the stylus of Mitzrayim also did in their blazing fire. So, again, they use some supernatural potential right. angelic fire. But how do you turn something into blood when everything has already been turned to blood? That's my question. The blood um, was in all the land of Mitzrayim, and then they did so. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. They turned um, it back first? Well, so maybe they had some water that was elsewhere that they used. From Paro? Paro's water? Well, no. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, it says that they go out and try digging wells, right? To get water again. Right. Right. So Okay, so maybe there's a time lapse there. Yeah. So maybe it's from that water, that new water that they try to get that they do this. Maybe. Um, maybe. Uh okay, so Pedro doesn't say anything. It just says that he doesn't listen and he turns and that's almost like a ooh, is that a pull toward repentance like that kind of turning but now he goes back into his house also his heart was not set for this which is a fascinating thing that's the word for set as in i set the to-do list on the table um yeah that's weird uh-huh uh i feel like there might be something mythological that i'm missing yeah i have no idea uh his heart was not set also for this like he didn't, I don't know. That's strange. It is. Uh, I think there's something that somebody else probably knows. Send it to textmessagemail.com. <laughs> yes, we're crowdsourcing all of our research all now. All of our answers. Yeah, who needs to do any work? Just just ask. Okay, uh, and then we've got a little creation callback, which if we were paying attention, that's been happening throughout, right? We've got a hand over the waters, like the spirit was over the waters. Oh, yeah. We've got some great long creatures, right? Um, we've got people speaking things. I don't know. I'm sure there's lines. That's usually your job. But then we have seven days were filled, which is a weird uh, phrase as well, after Yahweh struck the Yaur, which again, God's the one who does it. We're just the channel. Being a follower of God doesn't mean that you suddenly get superpowers means that when God tells you to do something, you do it, and he does something through you. Right. It's a partnership. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. Ooh, what a doozy. Yeah, it's good, though. Love it. This has been the Text in Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter 8.
Tell me why. Oh, that wasn't good. Get that. Okay. <laughs> Put it in the bloopers. That's fine. But not when people are trying to take me seriously. Um... 